0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Gina Delapa about the seven C's of leadership. Gina Delapa, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to have this conversation. We've been um, in contact and preparing for this for a little while now, and I look forward to talking to you about your seven C's of leadership, Uh, and you have a tremendous background and a lot of expertise that you're going to bring to the table for our listeners. As we get started, I just wanted to share Gina's bio with everybody. Gina Delapa is the president of Thriving Cultures LLC and the author of Thriving at Work. Make your mark, lead with confidence, stomp out drama, get home by six. As a university career counselor, Gina Delapa noticed an unsettling trend. The university was helping graduates get jobs but not preparing them to succeed once on the job. Gina left the university, uh, became certified as a corporate etiquette consultant, from the prestigious Protocol School of Washington in Washington, D.C., and began helping companies teach professional etiquette to new college hires. She has since expanded her reach to help companies create thriving cultures at every level, from college intern to CEO. When every team member works from a leadership mindset, performance increases, drama decreases, and culture becomes a competitive advantage. As a speaker, trainer, and coach, Gina has successfully taught both the mindset of leadership and the skill set. Known for her ability to connect with audiences at every level, Gina has inspired audiences nationwide from Moss Adams and on the West Coast to the Deutsche Bank on, the, on Wall Street. Gina has also served as a sought-after adjunct faculty member in the graduate counseling program at the University of San Diego, where she earned a master's degree in counseling with an emphasis in career development. Gina credits her parents for putting her to work starting at a Age ten in the family pizza business. Growing up in an entrepreneurial family taught her how to see company culture through the dual lens of employer and employee. Uh, so that's that's amazing. What a great uh, background. I love um, really everything um, that you're about, and I also we we, we share a, a piece of common um, uh, commonality as we were raised. I started. Uh, working at the age of ten as well, um, but we, we we had a series of not not as anything as grand as as a family business, but we had family paper outs and so I started at the age of ten helping uh, get up early in the morning uh, on the family paper outs
1: oh that 's funny, John. We should compare notes on salaries because i 'm pretty sure you would best know <laughs> um, I, I still tease my parents they paid me fifty cents an hour. <laughs> like, ooh, my first paycheck was three dollars like that's six hours which for a 10 year old that's a big chunk of my life you know but um i i'm fortunate to have three older brothers so all the paper routes went to them mm. so i i never did a paper route but i i did some other jobs that were kind of on that level so um yeah well and we have both uh, well i've taught in academia as an adjunct but you're a an associate professor, so you're, yeah, you're the real deal, but I'm sure we could compare notes on that level of, as well, just the, having the privilege of influencing the next generation of leaders, and meeting them where they are, and uh, sharing some wisdom, but also learning from them.
0: Absolutely, and I do love academia. I love I love being at the university. I love teaching. I love the energy of the university space, even though it's a little different right now due to COVID. Um right. but uh, that's all so much fun. And I but I also like the practitioner side of things. And so we share that in common as well, where we get to we get to do the academic stuff, but we also get to do the practitioner stuff and help real people and real organizations, you know, uh, learn to thrive and and to be more effective. So that's that's. That's what gets me up in the morning. Yes,
1: and my guess is that your practitioner side supports the academic side and makes you more effective in that realm, and vice versa. That the two are somewhat mutually implicative.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's it's uh, enjoyable for me, but it's definitely of benefit to the students, um, and vice versa for for the uh, for pulling my research into into what I do practice. On the practitioner side.
1: Right and students are pretty astute they notice these things and they notice when you bring something real to the table in that way so yeah kudos to you.
0: Well so you know such an interesting background I'm wondering if as we get started and before we really launch in we can talk a little bit more about your book and um, the the seven C's of leadership Um, Anything else, though, by way of personal background, context that you would like to share with listeners to help them get a feel for who you are, where you're at, and those sorts of things?
1: Well, uh, uh, let's see here. I think maybe the only thing I would add that might be helpful for people to hear right now is the career counselor in me knows that everything in your background, whether it looks like it relates or not, somehow does. And so take heart that if you are in a stop, get job or not in your dream job right now, it's serving a purpose. And that was one thing my parents imparted to me very young. Every job has something to teach you. And don't ever think, well, my career path doesn't make any sense. Because if you wait a long enough time, you'll look back and you'll realize, oh, I see how these threads connect and how this helped me with that. I could give you a lot of examples of that, but. I would rather have listeners reflect on their own career path and take some time to connect the dots because they are there and they do connect. And I hope that gives uh, gives listeners some added hope for these incredibly uncertain times.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And I, I do think that's an important note is that very few of us have linear paths, right, of just linear progression. Like we're zigzagging all over the place. And, you know, so- I... And, and yeah, and, and frankly, you know, linear is kind of boring. So I think uh, I think the zigzag is what it's all about, and and we gain insights and experiences um, along the way. And you know, I'm sure you can say the same thing. I can look back uh, to to all of the kind of weird, crazy jobs I've had over the years, and every single one of them has taught me something important, and every single one of them has an informed my future decisions that have helped to get me to where I'm at. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any of those back. I wouldn't redo any of it. Um, even though, you know, now I, I, sitting where I am, I could be tempted to look back and think, Oh, it would have been so much easier if I would have just done everything in a straight line. Right. But you know what? Nothing would have turned out the way it did if I no, done
1: exactly. It um, uh, right. It's, it's easier to look back and, and be wistful and say, what, what if, but, um, Like you said, you would have missed out on all those little subtle moves that that add up. There's a book I read just before going back to grad school years ago called The Way of Transition by William Bridges. He was known as kind of the transitions guy, but he talked about, you mentioned how linear is boring, and I completely agree. When I hear a 17 or 18-year-old say, I want to be an investment banker, I think, don't you really want to have a band? Because you should at that age <laughs> how, how can you know that you don 't even know who you're taking to prom and now suddenly you want to work I mean it sounds good and it sounds confident, but is it really you and so I would encourage people, especially if they 've got you know young adults uh in their in their house, to reflect on that that yeah, it doesn 't all have to be neat and perfect, but William Bridges talked in his book about um uh, what was the analogy he used kind of the the organic approach versus sort of the fertilizer and he said life isn't kind of this neat 321 formula and gave some examples from his own life how the seeming the most seemingly random things led to the connections that made him who he was so um again even amidst the uncertainty that we're all in uh unwittingly um you know, trust that, that things do connect and do work out.
0: Yeah. And, and maybe along those lines, I also feel like as, as I reflect back on my experiences that if I'm honest with myself, you know, I can't, my, my present self can't take a lot of credit for my present successes, right? My present self owes my successes to my past self. And so, there, there, you know, in some cases, there are, there are relationships uh, or projects that I w- was working on and started 10 years ago or more um, that it takes time to germinate and only after um, that incubation period do things start to bear fruit. And, and honestly, like there are things where I laid the groundwork a decade, a decade and a half ago um, that are now only now starting to really bear fruit, and so, you know, if if we can play the long game and do the the small things we need to do each and every day, um, you know, it will pay off. It that, that won't necessarily mean it pays off in a linear fashion, but it will pay off.
1: Right, and it may not pay off in the way you expect. But I'll give you a quick example from my uh, career when I was getting the master's in counseling for uh, a career development emphasis. I remember being in a panel interview at Grand Valley State University and they asked, what's one of your goals going forward? And then (laughs) I think the first thing out of my mouth was, well, I look forward to getting paid for this work because as an intern, you're not only getting, not getting paid, you're paying for the privilege of doing an internship. And I said that tongue in cheek, we all pay our dues and I'm on board with that. But one of the other major goals, I just had this desire to get licensed in the state of Michigan, just because that's where I was working. And it's a two-year process, and it's quite involved. There's a lot of documentation. There are very specific steps. But I had no idea when I did that, that I would be opening the door to teaching, teaching at the graduate level. And that was life-changing. I mean, I did that, as I said, for the better part of 10 years, I influenced all kinds of students, and they influenced me, and it was, uh, I can attest to how labor-intensive teaching is when you're doing it right, and you're really reading the papers and all of that, and putting uh, some real effort into that, but it was, yes, it was labor-intensive. It was also one of the most rewarding chapters in my career. It would not have been possible, and I could have never foreseen that getting that license would open that door because at the time that I entered teaching, there was no licensure in the state of California. So the fact that I had a license anywhere was uh, a plus. And that was, uh, and I didn't even have to ask. I was, I was asked, which is nice. It's always wonderful. I'm sure you can attest to this. When opportunities find you, that's when you know, you're on a good track. And I'm sure our listeners can relate to that too. It's like, I wasn't even looking for such and such. And it turned out to be the best thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what, what you said is absolutely correct. That, um, things don't always work out the way we planned. Uh, My experience has been that in most cases, things have worked out better than I had planned. Um, You, 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 you put together your best possible plan and then you end up zigzagging. And then, um, you know, as long as you're open to opportunity and you're constantly trying to grow, then, then usually you know, my, my feeling is the universe unfolds before you in a way that's even better than what you thought. <laughs> um,
1: oh, I, I agree. In fact, I, my first week of graduate school, we had to write a brief paper on where we expected to be at the end of the program. And I remember giving a speech to some honor students in the program who came many years after me. And I told them about this experience. And I wanted to have two job offers, one in California, one in Michigan. I wanted to have a book, uh, a book contract and this and that. And I said, that's called fantasy fiction. Um, As it turns out, I had one job interview. I mean, I had one job offer and I had a contract to write some columns. So not a book, but again, uh, I only needed one job and I found the one I most wanted. And uh, the, the articles, the columns that I ended up writing, it was the first time I was getting paid to write in my own voice. And as a bonus, my nephew at Michigan State had a management professor who knew nothing of me or our family uh, assigned one of my articles in in class. And so he got to read one of my articles. And I, you know, to me, that's just a, a good little story. And I'll always cherish that. But um, yeah, make your plans as bold as you wish. But again, yes, I agree. Be prepared for something even better. I I didn't know at the end of my grad program I'd be working in academia for a number of years. That wasn't even on my radar, but the internships uh, presented themselves, and as I got more confident with my skills, I realized, like you, I like academia. I like the energy of it. I like the collegiality and the um, emphasis on excellence and the standards. There was just a lot about it that I really felt at home with. And yeah, so that was home for a number of years.
0: Excellent. Well, I, I imagine as I'm hearing you share a little bit about your story, I, I can envision how this kind of goes back in time to your your early days as a 10-year-old working in the family business. Um, before we go and talk about the seven C's, I thought maybe we could just take a few minutes and okay. talk a little bit about maybe any sort of culture or leadership types of lessons you learned um, as you started at a young age, working in the family business and being around this entrepreneurial kind of spirit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just again, quick background for our listeners. So as I mentioned, or I think you mentioned in the bio, my parents started a pizza business, a takeout pizza business in the family garage. And this was actually a couple of years before I was born. So from my earliest memories My earliest memories are at the breakfast table and the dinner table, hearing nightly or morning little mini seminars on some form of employee engagement. We didn't use that term, of course, but we heard about the hirings and the firings. And I remember the first time I heard about a firing, I was five and I was terrified. Somebody got set on fire. I mean, that's what I was envisioning. But so it really taught me what managers expect, because by the time the business moved out of the garage, it was growing, growing and by the time my parents sold it, 13 years later, it had 250 employees, including you know my parents' four kids, uh, my brothers and I, and um, they they never had my parents never had us work directly under them or even around them, which was I think helpful. So we gladly stood on our own two feet. But it it made me realize from a very early age, John, that there's what there's the management worldview and there's what employees expect in return. And so I really got to kind of got to see that covenant, if you will. I think back in those days it was more of a covenant than it was is today, but I got to see that relationship through the dual lens and really appreciate what the other brought to the table and what the needs were. And, and uh, you know, sometimes they were at cross currents, but not always. I would watch my parents, do, things, do the same thing, for example, to two different employees or two different groups of employees and, and get a very different reaction. You know, they'd go out of their way to be generous or fair, as an example, and some would be extremely grateful and respectful for the opportunity, and others, there was just kind of no pleasing them. But again, the company of that size, human dynamics being what they are, there were ups, downs, dramas, Um so it, you know, acclimated me all of that to all of that at an early age.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think those types of life lessons early on um, do, do benefit us as we grow into ourselves and grow into our careers, you know, moving forward. And so I, I imagine as you're going through, you know, developing your book, the, the ideas for your book, and as you go about your, uh, your coaching work and, and some of your other professional work, um, that it's probably uh, not too uncommon for you to reflect back on how it connects with, you know, something you learned, you know, as a teenager working in a family business.
1: Right. And and I would also add too, and I, I still sometimes, you know, rib my father about this. He's 86 now, but I'll say things like, you know, you entrepreneurs think everybody's as excited as you are about your idea and you can't assume that's the case, or you can't assume that, any employee can do any job if they just say yes enough. I mean, that's one of the things that makes entrepreneurs successful, but at the same time, it can be exasperating to the people around them. They're so driven and they want everybody to be as driven as they are. And it's not always reality. And I think one of the things I learned just as a career counselor is, you know what? Not everybody is looking for their dream job. Uh, it, if they are, more power to them. We can find ways to help them be inspired and empowered at work, but we shouldn't assume because for some people, the the real juice is outside of work. And I heard Steve Harvey say recently, your career is what you're paid for. Your calling is what you're made for.
0: Mm, I like that.
1: Yeah, I do too.
0: So let's transition now and talk more about your book. Um, (laughs) And if you wouldn't mind laying out for us what, your seven C's are, and maybe provide a few examples.
1: Sure. Okay. So the seven C's are character, competence, courage, confidence, communication, class, and credibility. And the nice thing about credibility is if you do one through six, character, competence, courage, confidence, communication, class, you will have credibility in pretty much everything you do. But um, as you can imagine, John, Most or all of these are really being tested right now. And I think uh, especially courage, just because there is so much uncertainty and managers are seeing much more intimately, do I trust myself to lead during this time? Do I trust my staff to, to work at home and do what they are supposed to do? I hope the answer is yes. If it is, that means you've done your work as a manager, you've instilled cultivated those things in your team. Um, If you don't trust, and unfortunately, I've heard of some managers who don't, um, that's an invitation, I would say, to to look within yourself and say, why is that? And what needs to change? And what part of this problem is mine? Um, You know, start there. But yeah, so I mean, I wrote this book, uh, you know, in 2018. So before COVID, obviously, but I think COVID is just taking the need for these seven and it's not changing them but it's greatly turning up the volume.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh you know, and I I think of that credibility element. Um and really all all of your C's, I mean none of them are uh you know rocket science. It's it's all fairly straightforward. Uh in some cases we would we might even be tempted to say common sense, but the problem is it's it's whether whether someone knows it, you know, uh, conceptually or not, mm-hmm. the practice, the practice of it is sometimes easier said than done. Right. Um, be- because we recognize the need for these things. It's not super complicated, but it takes concerted, consistent, sustainable effort over time. And that's where a lot of it falls short for, for many managers or leaders.
1: Right. I, I agree. These are, these do not require advanced degrees or a degree at all. Um, but yes it does take as you said conscious effort and and empathy really seeing things through the lens of the other so if you have to give constructive feedback or if you have to do layoffs which are unfortunately a big reality right now if you can simply look at it through the lens of the person on the other end to say you know how am i getting this message across is it giving that person their their full dignity, their full respect, or am I taking the easy way out to make myself comfortable? I mean, these days, nobody expects the news to be great all the time, but control what you can. You can be transparent. You can be mindful of the timing. So, you know, you don't give horrible news the on a Friday night. I wouldn't. Um, just kind of leaves them with nothing to do but ruminate all weekend and maybe... <laughs> Maybe Who knows? You know what I'm saying. Um, I, I read this recently and I agree. If, if you've got to let someone go as an example, um, do it earlier in the week so that they've got some time to hit the ground running if they want or explore other options. They're not just, you can't get much done on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, but that's just one example. The, the overarching point here is um, look for ways to be empathic and to have have some humility. And that doesn't mean low self-esteem. It does. I like the, I think it was CS Lewis who said uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less about yourself. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it does. It just takes effort and yeah, again, but if you resolve, I'm going to lead with confidence and class uh, many of the other things will fall into place.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and ultimately, it's about developing trust with your people, right? Yeah. Um, and that that then builds into all of the the areas that you mentioned that are fleshed out in your book. And um, and and we we need good leadership right now. Uh, the world needs good leadership. Your organization needs good leadership. So um, for anyone listening, you know, uh, I would encourage you to check out Gina's book. Uh, glean some really great ideas from it and, and see, you know, what can you do to, to shift some, some, some behaviors and some ways you interact that might have a positive impact on your people and your, your, your team as a whole um, to, to help lift everybody you know, everyone right now needs a lift and, and we have that, we have that capability within us.
1: Yeah, we do. And it doesn't take much. Uh, the smallest gestures can mean the most. But um, yeah, we do need strong leaders. And we don't need perfect leaders, but we need leaders who are willing to uh, stumble from time to time, but get back up and uh, apologize if necessary, or go seek out additional training or additional coaching, whatever, whatever it takes. People learn in different ways. I completely respect that. But Uh, no one's going to, and this is another thing I learned as a career counselor uh, and in my years at the university, no one's going to care as much about your career as you do um, or your development. So if there's something you need, whether you're in a formal leadership position or not, uh, there's so much information out there. Set up a little discipline of reading or listening to something educational like John's podcast um, to uh, increase your capacity to lead and serve. And you do those two things, uh, you know, nothing's going to stop you.
0: Excellent. Well, Gina, it, here, yeah. Yeah, it, it has been a real pleasure talking with you today. We're, we're about out of time, but before we close, I just wanted to give you a chance to give the last word and share with listeners how they can get connected with you and find out more about what you're doing.
1: Sure. Okay. So you can uh, find my website at gina.dilapa.com. G I N A D as in David E-L-A-P-A. Again, my book is Thriving at Work. If you uh, just enter that into Amazon, actually, I think two books will come up, but only one by yours truly. And um, on my website, John, when people go, there will be a a very unobtrusive pop-up for a free download called 50 Traits of Effective Leaders. And it's beautifully organized. My assistant helped me just make it look... uh, very nice and digestible, if you will, but uh, that's been a big hit with readers, and so I would encourage our listeners to go to GinaDeLapa.com and get their free download. There's no obligation, and it's a good reference for everything that we've been talking about and a good support.
0: Well, thank you, Gina. It has been a real pleasure. Uh, I wish you all the best, it's, and I, I hope listeners will reach out, get connected, find out more about Gina, what we can do for you, And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. I hope you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.